Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Kendall tonight. Every bit as dear as Kara. Kara's <laughs> off this evening. And we are talking about the Heaven Project. Now, I don't know how you feel about reality, friends, um, but doesn't it seem like we're born into this world and we get older, a day at a time, and older and older and older, and then we leave this world. And along the way, it's a pretty bumpy ride sometimes. And uh, so sometimes when new little children are born into the world, you wonder whether you can really rejoice or, or think, well, welcome to this wonderful experience. Um, there are great things about being alive in this world, uh, but it's not an entirely painless situation. And so people are prone to wondering, what are we doing here? What, what is this weird thing where we all go through this thing and you all get older? And isn't it also very interesting that no two people are alike? It's such a curious thing. Just no two people are exactly like. There are patterns. There are families, and you can generalize about this kind of person and that kind of person. But when you get right down to it, every single person is unique. This makes it difficult when you're selling pants or cooking food or things like that because everybody's just a little different. And, and, you're, and, and no matter who it is who's walking through the door, the one thing you know about them is they're not exactly like any other customer you ever had in your store. It's, a, it, it's difficult to serve the human race because we're so diverse and so many different kinds of people and we're even more different inwardly in, in our thinking and our feelings, the type of things that trip us up. And even little, little kids will say things that no one ever said before. You know, like I heard one little girl say, you lost my temper. Now, you know, what a great insight. Now, has anybody ever said that before? And the kid doesn't know they're saying something that no one ever said before. Uh, but it's amazing, the variety of the human race. And yet, what is the point if we just sort of get older and then we die? Like, what, what, what is going on? So I want to talk tonight about uh, what I'm calling the Heaven Project, what I think the Lord is up to with this whole crazy thing that's going on. So will you join me for that, good friends, and join me for an opening prayer? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we pray for your presence among us. In the pages of your word, we seek you, Lord. Please show us who you are and what it is that you are doing with us in this world and what is the life after like exactly. Amen. Thank you, friends, for coming, sending love to those of you out online, those getting the audio and on the phone from Canada, and uh, much love to you all. Uh, feeling a lot better. I was a little under the weather last week, and, um, but the, the Lord is strangely good, don't you find? Um, okay, uh, I don't know how to start with this. I guess what I'll need to do is what I have to do a lot of times in Bible study, which is to clear away some sort of common misconceptions to begin with. There's a tremendous amount of confusion about heaven, about the afterlife, and so on. And so there's certain premises. I don't have time to argue all these systematically. We've done some private, previous Bible studies on these topics, so maybe you can find something in the past there. Uh, but the first point to make 
is that there are two separate worlds. When we talk about heaven, we're not talking about the physical sky. We're not talking about some galaxy somewhere or as if you go out to the physical stars or something when we die. Uh, scripture says that there's a world of the spirit that is unseen and there's a world of the flesh that we can, we can see. They're two completely distinct worlds. And yet you see when the prophets and other people are lifted up into the spiritual world, they see some strange things, but they're not completely foreign to us. They're things like clouds and fire and birds and people and, and swords and animals. And there are cities and walls and, and so, you know, temples and, and smoke and clouds and th things like this. Uh, so in other words, there are two separate worlds, uh, but they're very much the same. And we live here in the world of the flesh. Uh, the second point to make is that there's not a separately created race of angels. This rumor has been going around Christianity for a long time. It's not actually accurate to what Scripture says. Uh, there's a belief that there were, at the beginning of time, at the beginning of creation, God just made all these angels, whoom, and there you've got your angel. There's Michael, there's Gabriel, and so on, and the archangels, Raphael, and uh, they just exist. Uh, it's interesting that all the angels who appear in Scripture are very, you'd have to say, at least humanoid, wouldn't you? They, they speak, they say things, they know things about what people are going through and so on. Uh, and another interesting fact that someone pointed out to me at some point was that in the story of Genesis where you have all the creation, all the birds and the animals and the plants and everything's created, there are no angels created. There's no angels. And yet by chapter 5 or something, an angel comes popping into the story. Well, where'd you come from? You didn't get, you know, what happened to you? You weren't created. So when there's this rumor going around that angels are a separately created race, and sometimes they're said to be genderless and so on, uh, that's not actually accurate, says Swedenborg, who, who went there and saw for himself. And he said, no, uh, the, the, that's not actually accurate. You can you see where people get that impression from Scripture but there are other passages that make you realize that angels are actually what you might call ex-people. They're people who've died and gone to the other world. Uh, in the book of Revelation, there's an angel who talks to John, and John bows down to worship the angel, and he says, don't do that. I'm your fellow you know, human being, in effect. Uh, we, we serve the Lord. In fact, it happens twice in there. He just said, I, I'm just like you, basically. Uh, so isn't it interesting, we're born into this world and we get older and older and then it seems like angel is just another human development, like it continues from here. Uh, but there are also evil spirits, there, there are devils. There's another rumor going around that, um, that the devil, that there's one devil and the devil or Satan um, was an angel of light and he fell because they misread Isaiah chapter 14, but Isaiah chapter 14 doesn't say that. It's about the king of Babylon, and he's actually a bad guy. Uh, he's not in heaven, and uh, it's just about his overweening pride and everything. We've done Bible studies about that before. Uh, so uh, just suspend disbelief, if you will, friends, and consider the possibility that we live in this world, and then we die, and we transition into the spiritual world. And another point is that we stay there permanently. Our transition at death is immediate, personal, and permanent by which I mean immediate is that you wake immediately up into a spiritual world, 
Jesus says to the criminal, today you will be with me in paradise. He doesn't say eventually you'll come out of a stupor, you know, when the second coming happens or something. Uh, There's an immediate thing. It's personal. He says, you will be with me. There will still be a you. There will still be a me. Uh, There's a number of other examples. Uh, In Luke 16, Jesus tells a parable about life after death. And who's in heaven? It's Abraham, who's an ex-human being, and Lazarus, who's an ex-human being, and the rich man, who's an ex-human being. The rich man's in hell. Lazarus and Abraham are in heaven. They're just ex-people. That, that's, that's who's up there. And they're already there, and they're already conscious. It says God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Okay, so we're whipping through a lot of different stuff here. But if you get the picture that, okay, we live here, doesn't this kind of fit with sort of common sense? I mean, don't people... I, I've never heard someone say, you know, like somebody passes on, and they didn't get to see their kid or their grandkid married or something like that. And then when the wedding comes up, do people ever say at that wedding, well, we can picture grandma fast asleep for thousands of years until the last judgment occurs. You know, no one ever says that. They always say, she's looking down and smiling today. She's with us. And that's correct. People are correct about that. Their instinct is actually more accurate than this silly doctrine based on a misunderstanding and misreading of Scripture. And Scripture supports these things. And permanent means we go there, they don't come back. I don't know if you remember that story of David, but he has a child, and the child dies, and he says, I will go to him, he will not return to me. You don't come back. Even Jesus, after he was resurrected, it says he's no more to return to corruption. It's just a one-way deal. Live here, you go there, then you're a permanent citizen of that world. talks about everlasting life, the eternal, and so on. So you live here, you go there. There's a lot of confusion around this. Uh, but um, So these are really basic kind of things. And the last point I want to make as a basic point is that there's free choice. Uh, so actually, the shocking thing is that we have a choice about whether we go to heaven or whether we go to hell. Uh, briefly put, the reason for this free choice and when you think about it, Scripture is absolutely framed on it all the way through. It, I've started circling in my Bible all the times the word if comes up. If you do this, if you turn to me, blah, blah, blah. It's all premised on the fact that we have free choice and are able to respond. Why is that? Well, Swedenborg explains that uh, the only way what the Lord is trying to do is to, for lack of a better word, install love in our hearts and truth or insight in our minds. That's, that's what he's trying to do. And there's no way, have you ever noticed this with humans? There's no way to install anything in somebody else. Have you ever had a will for another human being? How's that worked out for you? You know, like, uh, have you ever wanted someone else to be a certain way? And I'm talking about people who are two, you know, and you can't get them to do, right? You know? Is there an age at which you can just, well, I'm going to make you be this, you know, don't you get a kind of equal and opposite reaction? Uh, The only way for the Lord to install these things in us uh, successfully is to have us opt in. There's got to be an opt in thing. It's the only way it works. It's the only way it becomes part of us. So there's free choice. All right. So there's two worlds. And one final thing about the two worlds And maybe we'll try reading a scripture here, shall we? Let's go to the epistles, if you will. 
and get to like the Gospel of John and then turn to the right, you go through Acts and Romans and then First and Second Corinthians. And so we're looking for Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5 where Paul is talking about life after death. Second Corinthians chapter 5 makes a very interesting point that the Lord is actually, He's present in this world, uh, but He's more present in the, in the other world. Uh, let's start right at the beginning of chapter 5 there, if you will. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Yes, this is talking about our body. It's using the metaphor of an earthly house or a tent. So if our earthly house is dissolved, we have a second place to live. This is our spirit. It's a building of God, a house not made with hands. And what is that last bit again? Eternal in the heavens. Eternal in the heavens, yes. So we live in this corrupt flesh here that's subject to decay, but there's a spiritual body, and, and Paul talks about this some more in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, that, that our spiritual body is not subject to corruption. It is permanent. Okay, let's go on and read about what it's like to be in this world. For in this we groan. Earnest... Don't you? Don't you, friends? Do you groan sometimes? <laughs> yeah. In this body here we groan. This is a life of a certain degree of suffering and so on. Go on. Earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. Isn't that beautiful language? It's kind of amazing. Just a very poetical description that we're going to wear this house, which is really ourself, our, our spiritual body. We're going to have this, this uh, other structure around us, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. Mm. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Yeah, so we don't want to get away from that. We really want better clothing. You know, we want something good in the spiritual world. Go on. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Huh. Go on. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Ah, you get that? So there's two worlds. While we're here in the body, we're absent. You know, we don't, don't see, you know, maybe in a vision or whatever, but, but not when you're walking into the acme. Uh, you know, we're absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Ah, very important statement, you see. So when you leave the body... You're present with the Lord. And isn't this what the, the near-death experiences are talking about in one way or another? A light, an amazing love, or so, you know, that, that, you, that you meet the Lord when you die. Isn't that what people say? You meet your maker. You know, that, that's, that's sort of the common uh, wisdom about what happens when we die. Go on. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Mm. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what, ha to what he has done, whether good or bad. Thank you. We'll stop there. And so we all need to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And the basis of our judgment is just what we did. Did we do evil things? 
did we do good things? This, this seems like very clear teaching. And I just wanted to get across that idea that the Lord is more present. It's not that he's absent, absent, like he, he's active in this world and so on. But there's a kind of presence of God that, that people come into when they die that's different than what you experience on a day-to-day basis down here. Uh, as a result of this, if you can turn to the middle of your Bible to the Psalms, we're jumping around a lot tonight, uh, go to Psalm 126. Okay. Uh, I like to think that this has something to do with our dying and going to the other world. Let's read this whole little psalm here. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Yes, I think like when you leave the captivity of the flesh, it's like you're, you're in a dream. Go on. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Mm. Can the, you picture that? So you, you die, you pass on, it's laughing, it's singing, you know, there's a kind of joy and rejoicing. The Lord has done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Mm. Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. And then listen to this little analogy at the end. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Yes. So I think this is about our whole lives in this world, that we sow in tears. You know, there's a veil of tears. And then there's joy and singing when we pass on to the other side. Then there's, then there's sheaves. And so if you sowed good seed, you know what I mean? If you're, you're doing good things in your life, then you've got she's and you're, you're rejoicing and coming into those things. What did it say in that other passage we just read? That the things that you did in your body, that's, that's what you come into kind of thing. Were, were you a good person? Okay, so um, I want to talk a little bit about the Heaven Project. Let, let's, um, let's just jump into some scriptures here. We're jumping all over the place, but... Uh, we're trying to get a sense of what's going on here. Uh, the Lord has tremendous attention. Let's go to Matthew in the New Testament, chapter 10. And there's a familiar passage here about the great attention that the Lord pays to us all. Let's start in verse 29 and just read 29 and 30 there. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Mm, go on. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. Yes. The Lord is paying attention to every sparrow out there. It says in Luke 12 that he, that, you know, he clothes the lilies and he takes care of the ravens and, and all this. Uh, you know, they... Two of them are sold for a little copper coin in the old King James, a farthing, quarter of a penny. And not one of them fall to the ground without your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So the Lord is paying very careful attention to us and to every detail of our lives. That's part of what's meant by that. I think uh, let's... Uh, 
look at chapter 13 in Matthew. This is the parable of the sower, and we don't need to read the whole thing, but there's four different types of ground, and only one type is really well-developed and receives the seed very well. And what happens when that seed is planted? 13, verse 23. But he who received seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, mm. who indeed bears fruit and produces, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Yes, very interesting idea that you bear fruit. So what does it mean by a hundredfold? It means you put one thing in, you get a hundred back. It's just a fantastic, if you were an investor, like this, this would be a good investment. A hundredfold, so even, even thirtyfold wouldn't be bad at all. Uh, Swedenborg talks at one point about just the sheer image of infinity in nature. He uses this example that if you had a plant that bore just five little measly rotten seeds in a year, and what plant is so pathetic that it only has five, you know, they got thousands of those things. But you picture a little tiny plant, let's say a little plant one inch square, and it has five seeds, and those five seeds go into the ground, and each one of them grows up and has five seeds, and each one of those goes into the ground and has five seeds. Swedenborg says in a hundred years, they will not only cover something the size of this planet, but they will cover tens of thousands of planets. Just in a hundred years, one lousy plant that only bears five lousy seeds a year. I did the math on this. Swedenborg is actually rather profoundly understating the situation, that little plant, an inch by an inch, in a hundred years, will cover a hundred thousand million 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 planets the size of Earth in a hundred years. That one lousy, quite unreproductive plant will cover 10 to the 52 planets of the size of Earth. Uh, there's tremendous reproduction in there. So when you're talking about 100-fold, 60-fold, 30 that's 5-fold. That is a huge amount of growth. That figures in, just hold that in your head, that figures into the, the, the Lord's Heaven Project in a way we'll talk about in a bit. Also look at the end of that chapter. This whole chapter is full of all these analogies. Let's look at verse 47 and following there. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind. Wow, a dragnet. Okay, so this is not where you go with a, a, a pole and a very specific lure for a very specific species of fish. This is just a big honking net and you just get every tires, every, just haul it all in. <laughs> That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, it's not that there's no discretion in it. What happens after that? Which, when it was full, they drew to shore. And they sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but threw the bad away. Mm. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, separate, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And then I love what Jesus says next. Jesus said to them, Have you understood all these things? They said to him, Yes, Lord. <laughs> what a bunch of liars. Um, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I just love it. But um, uh, so this is a picture of heaven uh, where there's a dragnet and you're just hauling everybody in. 
and not a, you don't keep every fish, but you just start. You don't start by going, well, that one looks good, or maybe you could maybe interview and we'd see whether your suit. No, haul them all in, haul them all in. That one's good, not so good, 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 not so good. That's that's so heaven works that way, hauling in. Little uh, little interesting factoid for you, good friends. Um, dying is actually quite stylish. Um, there are 55 million people on the planet who do it every year. Every year, 55 million people roll into the spiritual world. And if you accept the idea that we live here and we go there and then we're permanent, it said eternal. We live here, we go there, it's permanent. In this world, you have more people being born than there are dying. There's like 360,000 born every day, but only 151,600 who are dying every day. So that's like 150 million being born every year, 55 million dying. So 55 million people rolling just from this planet. We'll talk about that in a second, maybe, uh, as long as we're getting freaky here. But um, <laughs> So 55 million people rolling into the spiritual world every year. Talk about a dragnet. It's a big net every year. And the one thing you know about all those people is that they're not the same as any single person who died last year or at any other time in the past. And what do you know about this year's crop or next year's crop? They're all, they're all different. The variety is unbelievable. And 55 million, and they roll in, and, they, and it does. So is heaven a static place? It's not a static place. It's a dynamic place. It's, it's growing. It's changing. 55 million people moved into your town. It would make a difference to, to your town. Uh, you do that every year. It's like, whoa, whoa. You know, here, here come, there's a dragnet. Everybody's going in. All right. Uh, let's go to Mark. So turn to the right and let's go to Mark chapter 10 and just look at another passage about multiplication. 10 verse 29 there. So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Mm. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. Yes, free offer. You get persecutions with it. It's really great. You get this hundredfold increase along with persecutions. Uh huh. And what about the other life? And in the age to come, eternal life. Yes, in the old King James, in the world to come. That's right. In the age to come, that's after we pass on eternal life. But it goes on to say, many are first. Many that are first shall be last, and the last first. Um, so even in this world, again, there's this idea of a hundredfold increase. What what you give to the Lord, there's this hundredfold increase. And then there's something way more ridiculous even than that in, in the other world. Um, oh, I think we should go back to Genesis now. Uh, let's go to Genesis all the way in the left in your Bible and go to chapter 1. We read this very recently. Let's just take another quick look at this. Verses 27 and 28. So God created man in his own image. 
in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Hmm. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Yes, so this is a be fruitful and multiply. This is the command to the human race. Be fruitful, multiply. And when we read about 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold, 55 million people running, you know, be fruitful. Like it's all about increase. Let's keep the increase going. And in Genesis 13, verse 16, uh, God says to Abraham, I'll make your seed like the dust of the earth. So if someone can number the dust of the earth, then so can your seed be numbered. And in Genesis 22, verse 17... Let's read that one there, 22, verse 17. In blessing I will bless you, and in multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants sh shall possess the gate of their enemies. Mm. Yes, so this is this multiplying. When you realize that Scripture is much more talking about the spiritual world than it is about this world, it makes sense that there's a growth without end with this, you know, this multiplication is part of the heaven project that we'll talk about a bit. Um, along those lines, let's look at Isaiah. So to go back to the middle of your Bible and go to the right from the Psalms this time, and let's go to Isaiah chapter 9. This is just a, a statement that, that causes me a great deal of wonder. Uh, let's read verses 6. And then seven. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Mm, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then this statement here. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. Forever. Mm. Of the increase of his government peace. So it's not just that he's going to have government and that government will last forever, but that government, something about his governing or his ruling the human race will increase without end. So whatever time period you pick, it will be more than it was before. And even more astounding, the peace is going to increase. Every thousand years, there's a lot more peace than there was. Then another thousand years, another 10,000, a million years, 50 million years, a billion years. The peace is increasing forever, without end. The peace is increasing. That is very interesting. So it's not just an increase of people, but an increase of peace. Now, in this world... When you get more people, uh, the peace isn't always an automatic byproduct. Like, have any of you been thinking, we need a thousand times more people running our government in the United States right now than we are? That would make it more peaceful and everyone would get along better than, than only these 535 people and these other, you know. You know. Uh, not many people thinking that. 
Generally, it seems like the more people, wouldn't there be more chaos? Oh, and let's turn back from Isaiah. We'll go back through the Psalms and you'll get to Job. I want to go to Job chapter 8. Okay, Job chapter 8. And I love this little verse 7 here. Though your beginning was small, yet your latter end would increase abundantly. Yes, isn't that nice? Now that could be said of all of us, couldn't it? You, you start out small, but there's going to be this great increase. When you talk about being good ground and you grow 100-fold, 60-fold, 30-fold, isn't that talking about even on a personal level that you are growing and growing? So even though your beginning was small, there will be this great increase over time. And look at chapter 15, verse 15 in Job, memorable sort of scripture there. 1515 is about God. If God puts no trust in his saints and the heavens are not pure in his sight, how much less man who is abominable and filthy, who drinks iniquity like water. Yes. I I have some right here. (laughs) And um, the Lord puts no trust in his saints and the heavens are not pure in his sight. Hmm. It's interesting. So when you're talking about people growing, it's like when the Lord looks at people, and Swedenborg has this amazing statement that the Lord looks at the heavens not as they are, but as he wills them to be. Uh, there's this growth going on in heaven. It doesn't, I get this sort of static picture like the tableaus or something. Angels are sort of <laughs> standing there blessing people or something. Uh, this is not what's going on. Not with 55 million people going in. They're all different. And they're all growing and developing. And yet somehow the peace is increasing. A little, little counterintuitive. Uh, but isn't that interesting? And, and they're not pure. The heavens are not pure. And it's like, like they're still growing. They're developing. They're going, going forward and forward. The Lord is doing something with this crazy heaven project. Oh, let's turn to the left again. We're jumping all over the place. But go through Chronicles and get back to 1 Kings chapter 8. 1 Kings chapter 8, Mm, great statement here. This is Solomon who's dedicating the temple and he's asking for the Lord's presence to come down in this new temple that he has built. It's amazing and it's this long prayer. When he begins it, he's standing up. By the end, he's on his knees. It's this very powerful scene. And what does he say in the midst of this prayer in verse 27? But will God... Indeed, dwell on the earth. Behold, heaven and the behold heaven, and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple which I have built? Listen to that. So how is the Lord going to fit in a temple? Heaven and even the heaven of heavens cannot contain him. They can't contain him. This is part of the key of what the heaven project is of what's going on. The heavens can't contain him. They're not pure in his sight, but they're growing and they're moving in a certain direction. Good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Let's go back to the New Testament. Oh, let's go to Luke, shall we? Uh, So that's the third of the Gospels. Go to Luke chapter 16. 
And 16 is also the one that has the, the story we were just talking about with Lazarus and the rich man. But I want to read uh, starting in verse 13 to 16 here. No servant can serve two masters. Mm. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, mm. also heard all these things, and they derided him. Luckily, we've all gotten over that problem a long while ago. Go on. <laughs> and he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Such a powerful statement. What's highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. And listen to this. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached, and everyone is pressing into it. Everyone is pressing into it. It's the dragnet. Mm. Bring them all in. It's this huge project. 55 million people a year, just from this planet, rolling into the other world. Just everybody's pressing into it. All right. And look at John. Turn to the right. Go to John chapter 14. Very familiar passage to you, I imagine, good friends. Uh, look at verse 2 there and 3 and so on. In my Father's house are many mansions. Many mansions. Many it, mansions. Okay. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. I go to prepare a place for you. There may be 55 million people dying each year, but I'm making a place for you. You're different than anybody else on the planet. I have a place for you. I go to prepare a place for you. And, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So beautiful. So the Lord's going to make a place for us. And what that place will be, what did it say? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So going to that other world is a, is a, is a function of being with the Lord in, in a more intense and tangible way. And the Lord will go prepare a place for us and then he'll come and get us so that where he is there, we can be also. And then he says, And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And of course, the disciples say, oh, we don't know, we don't know where you're going. How, how do we know that? And he says, I, I, am, I am the way. You know, follow me. I, I'm, how, I'm how you get there. Okay, so many, many mansions. Mansions can mean big, nice uh, buildings. Uh, it comes from a word meaning to dwell, to remain, is sort of cognate with it. Uh, it's, it's many dwellings, many different uh, places to live kind of thing. And also, in some uh, ways of looking at the word, it has to do with levels. There are many, many levels. You know, there, there are many levels to this and many different places to live. And I'm going to prepare a place for you, says the Lord. Just amazing, amazing teaching. Okay, let's see. Um, a couple more. Okay, let's, let's look at John. Let's go back to chapter 12. Mm. Verse 24. The Lord is talking about himself and his own death. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat 
falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Produces much grain, or it bears, brings forth much fruit. Uh, there's something about this, that grain, it's about the multiplying, isn't it? That if that thing goes into the ground and dies, then there's much fruit that comes out of it. And the Lord says that's what's going to happen with him. And I think something similar, as these other passages have been indicating, happened with us. And therefore, just a couple of passages, turn to the right, go through Acts to Romans. Okay, let's go to Romans chapter 12. Mm. Let's read verses 1 to 5. This is a familiar idea that what people are, people who follow the Lord become part of His body. Let's read this. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, <clears throat> that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now, this is an amazing idea because a very important detail in the Old Testament sacrifices was <laughs> uh, that the animal is supposed to be deceased at, at, at the time of being sacrificed. It's an important detail. And yet here Paul is saying, we are a living sacrifice. You know, we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. And then he tells us a little bit about how to do that. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove that you may prove what is that uh, mm -hmm. that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Good. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Now this is important. You see, it's talking about the body of Christ. And an important thing about being in that body is not to think of yourself more highly than you should. It's supposed to be a teamwork situation, not a sort of a, hey, everybody's serving me and I'm top dog sort of thing. Go on. But to think soberly, as mm. God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Mm. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. Mm. Many members, many different types of organs, many you know, different limbs, different, different parts of ourselves, and they don't have the same function. So, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Yes, we're members of each other. So we, we work as, you know, I'll, I'll be arms or legs for you or whatever, uh, and we're part of this grand body, hmm. this, this, this body of Christ. And you see similar teaching. Let's go to, turn to the right, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And uh, if you just see there in verse 12, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. Mm, that's right. And it, he goes on about this at great length. And look at verse 27 down there. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. Yes, that's right. So members individually, I'm sure this is where the idea of being a member of the church came from. You know, that it was literally sort of an anatomical analogy to begin with. Uh, so we all become 
members of this, and a very important part of this, is not to have too high of a, an opinion of ourselves. Okay, so let's, uh, let's philosophize about this a little bit. Um, okay, you have several, okay, so you have an infinite and eternal God. And what he's doing is he's doing the heaven project. Let me write a couple of things on the board here. Um, uh, one would be numbers. You, you may have become aware, friends, that, that the, the human race seems kind of interested in reproduction or at least the activities that lead thereto. Uh, the, it, it seems to be built into the human race uh, that it, there's, there's this urge to procreate and everything. And there's numbers. There are people rolling into the other world. So there's an image over time. You remember I talked about that little plant that only has five seeds and in only 100 years it covers 10 to the 52 planets. Well, think about 55 million people rolling from this planet. Uh, Swedenborg says there are hundreds, hundreds of thousands of planets that have life on them because the Lord isn't just going to bet on one horse. He's got a lot, you know, for, for infinite love. He's not going to put all, all his money on one horse, that old, this old nag, you know. Uh, he, he's, got, he's got money different places, and uh, he's working with all these different planets, and they reflect different characteristics and so on. Uh, so he's got this farm team that's just vast, and there are people reproducing and people living and dying and rolling into the spiritual world. So you got numbers. And when you picture it over time, see, you couldn't do it in this world alone because this world has certain limitations, even though the universe is unbelievably vast, you know, uh, there's still, there's some sort of theoretical limit to how many people you could have on the planet. Or so, you know, it's just not going to grow and grow and grow and grow. For, you couldn't add you know, all those people to this world and not take anybody out. Like, like sooner or later, that would be a situation. But the spiritual world isn't subject to those same restraints. So the numbers, just the sheer numbers, can go cranking up and up and up and up and up without end. So that's one thing that the Lord is doing in this heaven project is just, it's a sheer numbers game. And by sheer numbers, over time, there's this growth and growth and growth and growth without end. 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Okay, so the numbers are growing and growing and growing. Uh, secondly, you have infinite variety. It's not just a whole bunch of, you know, tin soldiers or something that look identical. These are all different human beings. And the only thing you know about the next generation is not going to be exactly like any generation that ever existed before. Uh, there, there, there's constant variety, tremendous, mind-boggling variety. So the, not just the numbers are constantly going up in heaven. Constantly going up, never, 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 never going down. They never have a, in their annual report, there's never a minus number. It's always going up. And the variety is going up, up and up and up and up and up. Okay, then each individual 
is growing. Each individual is growing. What the Lord is doing as part of this heaven project is that he has this thing that's called the form of heaven. And it's a certain way that love and truth interact. And it's very specific. It's more precise even than the human body, although the human body is modeled after it. Uh, and he wants to install that form of heaven in each one of us. But it'll be different in each one of us. So he wants to turn each one of us into a heaven. And not just sort of, boom, okay, that's done. More and more and more and more and more of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. So every thousand, ten thousand years, you do a little inventory, check out what's going on. Oh yeah, I'm more in the form of heaven than I used to be. Each individual, now is this crazy, this heaven project thing? You got the numbers are going up all the time, the variety's going up, and each individual within that is growing like a weed, you know? Growing and growing and growing, reproducing, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Swedenborg says that a human being is like a seed that falls into the ground and it develops a shoot and leaves and branches and then it gets to the point of bearing fruit. Now, I would think, okay, we're done. But he says, no, that fruit falls into the ground, bears more trees until you have a whole grove of trees. And in fact, over time, that grove becomes a forest and then it becomes a forest of groves and a forest of forests growing without end, he says. This is what each one of us is. I've shared with you before, good friends, if you've tuned into this Bible study, that the Lord has an infinity problem. He has an infinity problem. And he keeps doing this infinity thing, not only with everybody en masse, but with each of us individually. So where you're going is unlike where anybody else has ever gone before, and that's the whole point. Getting you to be in a different position than you ever were in before, and let me tell you a little bit about how this thing works. Uh, I, I read something the other day, I never remember reading this in Swedenborg's works, uh, but if, if you picture like neurons or things like that, what I'm drawing on the board here is just let's have a circle here and let's have a circle over here and a circle down there. So just like three circles in a triangle. Uh, then, and they may have various connections of different kinds with different people. Uh, Swedenborg says that when you go to heaven, you just get placed between two or three people, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Your only job, it's a very simple, simple business model. Your, your only job, and this vast thing that you've just joined called heaven, your only job, you are here, your only job is to connect two, or maybe if you're ambitious, three of these people to each other who haven't been connected before. It's the good side of triangles. You go in here and you form a bridge. Now maybe you've already had that experience. It's kind of fun, isn't it? To connect people. I don't know if any of you are matchmakers or whatever. It's sort of fun to just connect people who weren't connected before. 
it's, it's, I don't know, it sounds easier than I thought it was going to be. It's just like all you have to do is just hang on to that person and that person, and then it'll be fun for them because like, oh, hey, this is, this is a new thing. I got a new friend. You know, because you're connecting these people who weren't connected before. But, of course, what's going to happen over time, so what I did for those of you just getting the audio, is I drew a triangle in the midst of this and then new green lines just to these blue circles that are there, just, just making a simple connection. Isn't that how the brain works? Isn't that something, I don't know much about it, but aren't there neurons and they have connections, axons and so forth, and they, and they communicate and they just send signals back and forth and you connect trillions of these things, and fun, fun things happen. And, um, and, uh, and you can see an image of the fact that it's amazing. It shouldn't work. But even with computers, even with something man-made like computers, when you had like a mere 20,000 transistors on a chip or something like that, what that thing could do was actually a lot slower than it is when you got tens of millions of transistors. It's faster now. There are more of them, but it's faster. It's counterintuitive. I mean, you'd think it would just be a horrendous, you know, traffic jam or something. But if they're working together and there's a clock and like, okay, here's what we're doing, boom, boom, boom. You do that function, you do this, boop, 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 send the signals around. Uh, and what happens over time, so here you are in the, lo and behold, then some other friendly person will come in and their job will be to connect you to someone else that you didn't know before, and maybe another party down here. And oh, here comes another person, because they're pouring in all the time, right? Here comes another one. We'll do a star this time. And they're connecting you to some other people you weren't connected to. And it keeps going like that. It's quite a simple model. But can you see that if you got 55 million people a year pouring into the spiritual world just from this planet alone, and there's people pouring in from hundreds of thousands of planets, a lot of connections are being made. And this thing is getting higher and higher resolution. I mean, how good was your TV when it had like six pixels compared to how good your TV is now when it's got millions of them, right? The, the high def, it's it's better. You, you wouldn't think it would be. But in an interesting way, it's better. Now, this resolution is growing and growing and growing and growing and forming new connections. And each of those things is getting wiser and getting more and more in the image of heaven. And another thing is that through these other people, see, the more that your mind, the more that you receive what the Lord is trying to do to you, and we have choices about this. We don't have to let him do this wonderful thing to us if we don't want. But the more you let the Lord do this thing to you, and the more your mind is in the form of heaven, the more you have what Swedenborg talks about as this extension. You have this extension of your consciousness. If you have a little wisdom, your reach goes a little way into heaven. He says this is even true of people in this world. But if you have a lot of wisdom or a lot of love, your reach goes farther. And the highest angels have a reach to everyone. They have everyone in heaven on their Facebook page.
page. <laughs> They're connected, and they know them all. Swedenborg says this, they know everyone. Their outreach is, is all-encompassing. You know, and each one of those people feels like, well, you're a special friend of mine. Yes, and I'm friends with billions of other people <laughs> who are all unique, <laughs> and uh, it's, it's fun, and I love you. Um, so your outreach, the outreach of each individual, uh, so the, the extension of each grows over time. Now, you know, there are people in this world that uh, it, you, you'd, you'd rather sit with a couple of friends or at a party you go over in the corner and talk to, to one person, have a conversation for an hour because the, the crowd is kind of overwhelming. So this could be a really bad evening for you in Bible study. Um, uh, but <laughs> I, I think the Lord makes this kind of manageable for us. Isn't it interesting how he talks about the neighbor? Like instead of talking about the whole human race or whatever, he just says the neighbor. Like the neighbor is just the one, just love, just love this person. That, that's, if, if you can be decent to this person. Now, what does he say? Wrecks the whole thing. If you're thinking too highly of yourself, then you're like a bad axon, a bad neuron, a bad switch, a bad transistor in the, in the computer where you say, no, I, I only want this kind of signal. I, I don't want to send that signal. I, you know, I, it's not, I, I, do I look good when I send this signal? I, I'm not sending it. And, and, um, uh, and you're shutting down the signal. You know, The Lord wants to be able to flow through this thing smoothly. So you can start to see, can't you, what the poisons are to this thing. The poison to the heaven project is exactly what's covered in the Ten Commandments. It's amazing. If your greatest, fondest desire is to kill these people, you're not that much fun to be with in, in, the, in the heaven project. We need to find another assignment for you. Um, if, if you love you know, having sex with the wrong people or something, it, it sort of messes the thing up. Stealing, lying, you know, those are the things that get in the way of this. And also, the real basics, which are loving yourself more than you love the Lord. Like a granny wanting to be, you know, king or queen of your own empire type of thing. Uh, the Lord will let you have that fun. He cannot install this in you. You have to want it. Uh, but you, you can't be in heaven if you have a certain attitude. And loving material things more than you love heaven, more than you love your neighbor. Those, those are poisons to this thing. If we can get over those things, then we're eligible for this, this heaven project. And so what the Lord is doing with this thing, it, so, okay, maybe you don't like being in a crowd, um, but just if you go to a, uh, let's say a little home concert, I mean, these things are fun. I'm not trying to knock it. But if two people are listening to someone, you know, play the piano. And when they're done, they go, you know, that's, that's nice. Um, uh, what, if, what is it like when there's a stadium of like 50,000? Oh, you know, you're, you're, it just feels bigger, doesn't it? Like, isn't there a reinforcing factor? There can also be a negative side of sort of the mob, you know, scene or something. But isn't there a reinforcing factor? Isn't there something sort of glorious about being 
part of this giant thing. Like, oh, you know, like that, remember on 8808 in the beginning of the Chinese Olympics and you, you just have tens of thousands of people doing these amazing things, you know, and you're part of tens of millions of people watching. It's just, there, there's something about the sheer scale of it. Well, imagine being part of the Heaven Project and just becoming aware that like, whoa, this thing is getting really big and there's a lot of signals and all I have to do is just get my signals to my two or three people but this thing, whoa, you know, stuff is just whipping through this ever enlarging thing, this amazingness. And the Lord is getting each one better at doing what they're doing. The groups are getting better at doing what they're doing. The signals are getting purer and cleaner. And the whole scale of the thing is just growing without end. You see, the Lord is doing an infinite and eternal thing here. He's building an amazing living human sculpture. Whoa, yeah, this is great. Okay, it's going well. Does he care? I mean, he cares about everything tremendously. But is it important that you got a bee sting? You know, the Lord cares, but he's thinking about this thing. This is what he's doing. You know, he's doing, and we say, oh, God hates me. Well, he's working on this, you know. He's got this big thing in mind. Uh, he, he wants to create this heaven project, love for you to be part of it. And he's doing this infinite and eternal crazy thing, developing all these unique people and going places they've never gone before. And let's add another thing. Another way Swedenborg expresses this at one point is that it's like a palace continually under construction, continually enlarging. You know, he's, he's doing this magnificent, unbelievable work. And all you need to get in there is, uh, is to repent, you know, to lay aside some of that stuff in the Ten Commandments that makes you ineligible. The Lord can take you, he'll pick you up from there. You know, he'll, he'll lead you. I am the way, he says. I am the way. Now, even though this thing is just so amazing and so vast and unending that it can be kind of dizzying to think about, it's very, in fact, it says in First Corinthians 2, verse 14, that these things are foolishness to the natural man. And uh, we can't discern them with our lower self because they, they just break your brain. It's, you know, but, um, but the Lord is not just doing something like, um, okay, two, two other things I want to say about it. One is that there's this self-reinforcing effect you know the encouragement it's not just part of being part of a crowd but when when you do something and then people are cheering like you're you're running in a marathon and people are shouting you on you know what is it like to be in this thing where you've got this enormous growing reinforcement for every good thing you do it's like yes you know and this huge energy is flowing into you to reinforce that behavior and keep you going in that way. And, and you think, well, you like that, I'll do this, you know, and it's very encouraging. Um, but all of that still misses an essential piece of the heaven project. But can you see what I'm saying? That the resolution to become the body of Christ, like how can, you know, how could you embody? The heaven of heavens cannot contain you. How can, how can even this heaven project well, the way it can do it is by having infinite, have eternal time frame, infinite amount of space, infinite variety, 
unlimited growth of each individual component of it, you can start to head in the right direction. You know, it, it can start to embody the Lord. And the amazing thing about it, even though the Lord wants us, and it's sort of something that has to do with the truth, that we think about that glory and the amazingness of it, um, there's another component to it. What did it say? Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Peace. It doesn't sound peaceful necessarily to be part of this amazing, whoa, wow, this thing is crazy. Uh, what's actually going on in the, on the level of the heart is that the more thousands of years we spend there, the more we start, our, our hearts start to melt and we relax, you know, we get peaceful. You know, it, it Swedenborg says it's this time in, in, in this uh, hemisphere, it's the spring right now. And Swedenborg says the peace in heaven is like the peace in springtime. I really love that statement because uh, in the dead of winter, there is, there is stillness. Nothing's growing. You might think, well, that's sort of peaceful. On a spring morning, what are you hearing? There's a riot going on. The birds are going crazy. All the animals are going crazy. Everything's busting out of the ground. That's the peace. That's the, not the midwinter peace. The growth peace. You know, there's peace in growth. There's peace in people working flat out to get something good done. You know, there's peace in that. And uh, although you can see the majesty and the infinity of God in this picture, and that could be overwhelming, the Lord wants to know, us to know that He's going to prepare a place for you. This is, this is very, very personal, and it's peaceful, and it's intimate. And the more and more people there are, the more peaceful it gets, the more godlike it becomes, the better a mirror of compassion and truth and understanding. What is it going to be like on this earth? I mean, right now, let's face it, our biggest problem is that heaven's not doing that great a job for us. No, I should never say that. Um, <laughs> but imagine when heaven gets like so much better that that power coming down from heaven will be so amazing as it gets better. Every year, 55 million more people just from this planet going to get better and better and better. Uh, they, I, I don't blame heaven at all. All my problems are my own. I'll write a letter of apology. Uh, the, um, but it will be great as heaven gets more and more powerful, even in this world. It says that the increase of his government and peace, there'll be no end. And in the other world, that sense of the presence to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, to be in that thing. And then just to have this peaceful, it says there's nothing more peaceful. The source of peace is the union of divinity and humanity within the Lord. That, that's the source of all peace. And so the fact that Lord is that divine human being and he's able to be intimately present with each one of us, just, and it's gentle. It's not overwhelming. Love, love a few neighbors. And sometimes we're going to be struck by the ecstasy and the amazingness of it and everybody being part of these these countless billions of people, all of whom are sharing their joy with others, and therefore their joy is increasing and the thing is going crazy. But at the heart of it, it is this increase of peace that over time it's more and more home. Uh, and let's read about that at the end. Thank you, good and patient friends. Uh, let's look at Psalm 132. This will be our last scripture right in the middle of your, gospel, uh, right in the middle of your Bible. Psalm 132. 
Let's start at uh, verse 8 and read down to 14. <clears throat> Arise, O Lord, to your resting place. Mm, your resting place. That's what this is. This is where he can really relax. He's among friends. Arise, O Lord, into your resting place. You and the ark of your strength. Mm. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness, mm. and let your saints shout for joy. Mm. For your servant David's sake, do not turn away the face of your anointed. The Lord has sworn in truth to David. He will not turn from it. I will set upon your throne the fruit of your body. If your sons will keep my covenant and my testimony, which I shall teach them, their sons also shall sit upon your throne forevermore. Forevermore. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his habitation. Mm. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. That's what the Lord says about heaven. That here, here is my rest forever. Here, here I will dwell. This is my comfortable, this is my happy place. This, this is my, my safe safe spot. That's the heaven project. I hope I've done a tiny bit of justice to it tonight, and uh, I hope it's appealing to you. In a closing, heaven is the ultimate purpose behind creation. It explains why we're born in this world, explains some of the suffering that we go through, explains why we go into the other world, why we're developing all through our lives. Even as our bodies decline, our minds are still growing. It's an infinite and eternal divine project involving ever-increasing numbers and variety and connections in unique individuals to embody God with greater and greater resolution, yet it also gives us all more and more peace. Thank you, good friends. Let's close with a prayer. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you are the one God of heaven and earth. We thank you for bowing the heavens and coming down into this world, Lord. Thank you for being glorified and rising with such power and great glory and preparing a place for every single one of us, a unique spot to reflect something that no one else reflects. Thank you for the possibility of endless growth, of ever-increasing peace. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep on repenting, friends. I would have to say this is a by recommendation.